Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. And we're back, Albert. It's uh, number two of this year, uh, this season, and uh, we're still kind of uh, hanging out in our same spots. Well, happy, happy Sunday morning. Happy yeah. autumn. Change of seasons. I know denim heads love changes of seasons. They're going to mm. take out all their heavier denim and flannels and boots and party on like there's no tomorrow. Speaking of, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great to see you. We have a special guest today. It's somebody who's been on the show. Actually, I realized he's one of the few guests who will now have multiple personal, uh, just one-on-one appearances on our show. There's very few people who've actually been on the show more than once uh, individually. Evan Blanchin, Shades of Indigo, is our guest today. And he um, also has joined us for a number of roundtable conversations uh, throughout the previous two seasons. So we're psyched to have him back. And he was very generous in in, uh, getting up at 8 a.m. or earlier to uh, talk to us from the, the Pacific Northwest. So I don't know, do you have anything you want to talk about? I mean, just very, very briefly, I just got to recommend the Muhammad Ali documentary, um, Ken Burns documentary that's out. If you don't know anything about Muhammad Ali or don't know about, uh, don't care about boxing or any of that stuff, it's just really fabulously done with great, uh, just great music, just the most incredible uh, uh, star at the center of this documentary. Just what an absolutely fascinating human being. So that was my entertainment uh, uh, experience of the weekend that is recommendable. How about you, Adam? Anything? I know uh, you're a busy, fu- busy family man right now. Yeah. Um, well, I did uh, treat myself um, a couple of days ago. I-, I got the new iPhone. I hadn't gotten one in, uh, it was going to be four years coming up here. So I got the the new um, iPhone 13 Pro Max. So I'm really stoked about it. It's a lot bigger, a lot faster. So I'm I'm having fun with that, and uh, I'm I really want to check out the camera and play around with it, uh, and you know, bust Apple out employees don't automatically get one of those every year. Like you know, a bonus everyone bonus says that. Everyone says that. Come on, and no, we don't. <laughs> oh wow! Well, that's cool. I mean, I'm I have a pretty new one. I've got a 12. I'm I'm loving it. It's great. Although this past uh, week, I did do some photography with a, a real professional photographer with his fancy. $7,000 worth of equipment. And I kind of fell in love. I just, you know, that's, I, I hope I'll have the time to wrap my brain around it. Um, but speaking of brain, let's bring, let's bring Evan right in because this is an important conversation and a fun, I think it's going to be a fun and illuminating one. Um, I'll just set it up unless there's anything you want to add Adam as in terms of intro. I was uh, sitting in the car dealership, Toyota, getting my Camry um, fixed up a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I, you know, Evan and I have our ongoing DMs that we send back and forth. Uh, we're, he's he's a good DMer. He's he's responsive. I always hear back from him. But I was not expecting this one. Just out of nowhere, this Saturday morning, he writes, uh, so Thursday, I did what is basically considered a heroic dose of mushrooms. Uh, if you Google that, you will read some crazy shit. And I did Google it <laughs> while I was sitting there. And of course, heroic dose is exactly as you might think. Uh, uh, it is is a, is a large dose enough to do certain things to your to your to your mind, to your body. And uh, I was, of course, immediately thunderstruck: a that he did it, uh, uh, and b that he told me. Uh, Evan is not the kind of guy who tells you everything going on in his life day to day. So I was like, wow, this is a really interesting way um, to to start my Saturday to hear about this. Uh, I'll read you a couple more of the other texts. 
he sent um, in this back and forth, he said, um, it's something most people do for therapeutic reasons. It's like you're strapped to a rocket ship, basically 10 years of therapy in a few hours. Um, I want to just jump in here and say, I am not a doctor or a scientist and neither is Adam. And everything you hear here is just a bunch of guys talking. None of us are experts and none of you should take anything we discussed today as any kind of endorsement any sort of encouragement to do anything that you hear talked about today. We're just going to be looking at Evan's case, how this came about uh, and what he learned from it. Um, so back to his texts, he says a top five life event easily, which I thought was amazing. I was immediately started thinking, what are my top five life events? And one of them, one of them would actually be an experience I had with, with magic mushrooms back in, in my college years, my, my first and only time. So anyway, um, Evan quickly reminded me that these that mushrooms are a schedule one drug, which means that uh, they are illegal in most places. And um, that's important to to uh, know. And then he mentioned that he thinks I should check out a book and the book has a very long subtitle. And I do need to to mention in the book and talk about the book for a second. Um, the title is How to Change Your Mind what the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. Published in 2018, a book by Michael Pollan. It's a New York Times bestseller. And uh, it's quite an extraordinary book. I mean, the, the feat of writing that is there and the, the, the amount of digestion that this man does and brings it all together and with very, very colorful, well written uh, prose. I mean, it's just a really, really comprehensive book. Uh, one last little bit of intro, just from the, the Guardian review of the book, uh, How to Change Your Mind is Pollen's sweeping, often thrilling chronicle of the history of psychedelics. My little parentheses mentions that it, it talks a little bit about the accidental discovery of LSD by Albert Hoffman in 1938. Um, back to the review, their beef, brief, Modern ascendancy and suppression, their renaissance and possible future, all interwoven with self-deprecating travelogue of his own, cautious but ultimately transformative adventures as a middle-aged psychedelic novice. In other words, this is a serious work of history and science, but also one in which the author, under the influence of a certain Central America American toad venom, becomes convinced he's giving birth to himself, improbably the combination largely works. So first question, Evan, did you read this book before you undertook this recent experience or was it something that you went back to after the experience to figure out what the heck you had just done? Yeah, uh, after actually, um, I guess to set the stage for this experience that I had, um, I am fortunate enough to have a very knowledgeable, um, medically <laughs> related wife, um, who had her own experience a number of months ago. Um, and just what she gleaned from that was a thing that got me really curious about it. Um, I will say I'm not, uh, when people say, <laughs> oh, mushrooms, you kind of start thinking about it, you know, uh, a hippie or a very alt, alternative person you know I don't have dreadlocks I don't wear tie-dye I don't none of that stereotypical stuff that a lot of people associate with mushrooms I don't listen to the Grateful Dead whatever else um it's uh you know 
and it's not something that you do for fun. This type of, you know, therapy that is done is, is not for fun. It's serious work and it's something that you have to prepare for, for a long time and be, um, mentally ready for, or else it can go really bad. Uh, it's, you know, most people talk about, I've taken mushrooms. It may be like a, a fraction of a gram or, you know, maybe a gram, anything over like two to two and a half grams is considered a high dose. I took somewhere between four and a half and five. Um, you cannot overdose on mushrooms and they are not addictive. So that fear wasn't there, but, um, yeah, it was just really a curiosity thing. I don't dabble in drugs at all. So it's a totally new thing for me to, to, to try out, but you know, all the information that my wife had spoke to me about and like what she gleaned from it, um, got me curious enough to, to decide that I wanted to give it a, a try too. And so three-ish weeks ago, I, I just decided to not put my toe in the water, but just jump in and, and go, go all out. Did you have the, um, the background because of your wife to know exactly who to go to and where to go? Because um, yeah, what, I knew from, I knew, from reading the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I knew, you know, how best to like be prepared to do it. I knew, you know, set and setting is very, very important when taking this type of dose. Um, you don't, cause you can have a, a bad trip or you can have it just kind of wasted um, a little bit more background on that. I did it right here in my house in our spare bedroom. Um, the dose is so high that you don't really, you kind of, you go out of your body and you're not really aware that your body is there. So you're not running around doing things. Um, and the idea also behind it is you, you wear like an eye mask and you have headphones on and that kind of disconnects you from the world around you. And so you're not really in the world once it hits. Um, and so that's kind of how, <laughs> how you prep for it is you understand, like, you know, I'm not, nothing's going to, bad's going to happen. Um, but you really don't get the same insights and the same effect if you are sitting outside staring at the clouds or, you know, in public or at a concert or something like that. Um, that I just want to really, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that much I, mushrooms at one time um, in a public place, having done it sounds like a very, very terrible idea. Well, I just want to just throw in really, really fast. I mentioned my experience back in, in college. I was doing uh, throwing a very large party. There were a hundred people in my house listening to Mahler. I'm not kidding. This was really happening. When the piece was over, someone just handed me something. They're like, oh, just have a little mushrooms. And I, I was like the most innocent. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I barely smoked pot at all. I mean, nothing. It was just kind of like, hmm, is this a good idea? I'm hosting a party for hundred people. Is that a really good idea? And I just took some. And I don't know what the size of the dose is, but all I know is it's, it is one of the stronger memories, if not the strongest memory I have of my college, uh, during my college years, because for me, I, I very distinctly remember the narrative of what happened. I remember kind of going off in the hills behind Stanford. I remember taking my clothes off and kind of dancing in the moonlight and chasing cows. And the only bad part of it for me, and I didn't realize I was actually doing something that really kind of was very, very dangerous running around having had no preparation uh, beforehand 
was that it lasted so long. Now you talked about your experience being what four to six hours kind of thing. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're in the the peak and the height of it where you're totally disassociated with your body for about that amount of time. But then the come down is really long, and eventually you you get get through that portion of it and you actually open your eyes and things you just have a lot of like vivid um colors are really vivid things are kind of sparkly there's you know like some eminence off of things which isn't the point of doing it and that's not but you do have a number of hours after that i think i really kind of felt normal and you kind of are getting more aware of your body um you know for another three or four hours after that so you are under the influence of something for quite a while, but the intense aspect of it is, you know, is three to four hours. Yeah, I remember, I mean, really, honestly, in retrospect, the only reason I didn't try it again was that it was just so long for me. And I have no idea if I did more than what you did or less than what you did, but it was a really long time. And I, it, as much as it was pleasurable, as it wore on, I was like, oh my God, this might be my new permanent state of being. Like, what is that going to be like? You know, it was, so that was really the only thing that put me off from, from trying again. I do want to just mention that the, one of the things that the book educates you about is what the actual therapeutic use is. Uh, medical, scientific, the therapeutic use of of these drugs um, uh, are um, it basically it's been very, it's been successful uh, at times treating depression, alcoholism. Um, it's helped bring a lot of comfort to people who are facing life threatening, even, even life ending illness. So there is the, the scientific studies are very focused on that. And the book really is trying to capture a moment where psychedelic drugs. Now it's like a pendulum. Sometimes we're mortally afraid of them, uh, you know, after the, the, the 60s, they were associated with all the social unrest that we had, and there was a backlash against them. But just before that, in the book, you have these moments where Cary Grant is having 60 LSD trips and talking about it publicly. And you can just imagine what it would be like if a, a celebrity today talked about 60 experiences with drugs that they recently had. So this, this pendulum keeps swinging, and the book is sort of arguing we're probably writing off too many great positive aspects of these drugs in our being being fearful of them and, and you're mentioning that you're you know you do need to be respectful of them i, I want to go back to the the motivation and you talked about your your curiosity let's delve the, what were you curious about let's let's be really try to get down to that i mean you know anytime you hear about something that unanimously people say this was a top life moment for me like a profound impacting life moment and it's something that really isn't dangerous you can't become addicted to it you cannot die from it there is zero known overdoses of doing you know a, a psychedelic mushrooms in particular um it's like wow why wouldn't I want to experience that? Why wouldn't I want to try that out? That sounds like something that is amazing, you know? And so you're, that curiosity is there and you're like, also the fact that, you know, there are serious benefits and you can gain insights and learn things about yourself and about, you know, the world around you that you otherwise wouldn't really ever come to understand. Um, get back to what you said, you know, a lot of people do this because they're dealing with a, an addiction or depression or something like that. It, it is, 
and the book talks about it, it is more beneficial and has greater results than really any pharmaceutical drug out there. So it, it is something that, again, I'm not a doctor either, but it is something that I would encourage people that are struggling with something like that to maybe take into consideration um, because it is incredibly impactful and it can have lasting you know, results. But to get back to what you said, um, it's just a curiosity. It's just this uh, experience that, again, is safe, assuming you respect it and you have the right set and setting and preparation. Um, in your case, was your wife just sitting there watching and observing and looking at yeah, my, my wife was my guide. It's, you know, it's smart when you're taking this much to have what's called a guide who just kind of sits there and, you know, a lot of people really struggle and have to take the eye covering off and take the headphones off and just kind of talk about things, or maybe they just need a hug. Um, Cause it is intense. Like you, you, you ball your eyes out for four hours and you see the most terrifying and the most beautiful things you have ever seen in your life all in four hours. And you glean these insane insights into what matters um, all in a very short period of time. Like I said, it's, it's a decade of therapy in, in four hours. And, you know, it's not necessarily that I felt like I needed to do this because I was struggling with a lot of things at all, but everyone has things they can work on whether they realize it or not. And if they want to, don't want to admit that it's like, well, maybe you're the person that probably should be taking this if you think you're perfect. But um, that, that was kind of my mindset going in is just being curious and um, wanting to, to, to see what the experience was like. I have my own experiences, um, you know, taking them. And I guess uh, <laughs> based on like the dosage amount that, that, uh, Evan was was saying uh, about like what what he would do in public. I was like, oh man, okay, uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting to see kind of where the the dosages fall fall in there. Um, one of one of my biggest things, um, you know, that I, I took away from from the reading that I did was, you know, the the how to change your mind perspective of it, and really like the different ways to get into the different perspectives. One parallel that the the author kind of drew into was more of the the mysticism and like meditation and um, you know the the exploration that you can do inside your own head. Um, and some of it has been done without drugs uh, for a while too. So it's not like you know you need to do this drug in order to have this kind of um, experience. One of the cool analogies um, that he used was like, you know this is like a window to another perception. And I think with, you know, our, our vulnerability, like, you know, the, one of the things that you, you kind of have to ask yourself and kind of do a gut check with is like, am I ready to like, look out of this window and see all the potential things that can happen? Because, um, it can be good. It can be bad. It can be neutral. And it's also ever changing. So there's like quite a bit that happens, um, within that short amount of time. So, um, Evan, you were saying like respecting the the drug and re respecting the the experience. Uh, I think it it takes a lot to to one kind of like accept that, but to like to really understand like um, you know I may have my perspective changed in in this amount of time, and for for this um, setting, like yeah, like th this can really be a big part of it. I think what's cool about the the argument that the author makes. 
um, is, you know, having that perspective change and having to be able to change your mind. Um, but where we can apply that in, in different aspects of our life, because I don't think a lot of people nowadays walk into an argument saying like, Hmm, if someone puts up some really good points and is able to change my mind, I'd be happy to change my mind about something. I think we're kind of like so stuck in our ways. And like, we have these like mental grooves and habits and, and just our own like conditioned thinking that, um, you know, the, the art of the argument and the art of kind of finding knowledge has come to more of, you know, let's try to convert people. Let's try to discredit people and stuff like that. And what this experience offers is a complete inverse to that, where it's like, you're going to discover new insight and new ways of thinking on your own. Um, and it's really going to open up that door. So, um, with that, like, you know, Evan post, you know, that experience, uh, have you noticed any kind of new openness or any new, like, you know, ways of thinking and, and stuff like that? Cause I'm sure there's some, some like after effects that are, are definitely positive. So I just want to curious about yours. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm in this, my wife calls it kind of like the afterglow of it. And you know, that, that potentially can fade over time. Um, but 100% yes. I mean, I guess, just a little bit more into the experience. So I, I took it, put on the the headphones and put on the eye shades. And um, eventually you, you have a death experience. You, you fully believe in your mind that you're dying and that you are dying. You're going to die and you, you let it happen. Um, and it's, it's so scary. It is so scary, but you, you let it happen. And once you let it happen, um, you come out on the other side of that and you're, you see all of these different, you know, insights and you, you, you atheists don't believe it's God, but you, you feel, you feel God, you feel this incredible presence that shows you all of these various, you know, things that are totally relevant to you. And I, you know, I had these different goals that I, you know, wanted to focus on. I wanted to like, work on patience and I wanted to work on um, kind of selfishly, like how do I manage pain in terms of athletics? Like for me cycling, I wanted to focus on how do I compartmentalize pain and, and push through pain and go to a deeper level for gaining athletic performance. But it's important to remember if you decide to do something like this is that psilocybin is not going to give you what you want. It's going to give you what you need. And the experience is dictated based on what you need. And so a lot of mine was actually um, just focused around my family and my, my daughter and my wife. And like, it's purely showing you what's important in your life and what, um, what matters and everything else doesn't. And so many things um, that quote unquote matter in the real world. They just don't mean anything. And so that, to get back to your question, that's one of the big things that I came back with and that kind of one of the insights is that so many aspects of life are just like, that doesn't matter. You know, someone pulls, you know, cuts you off in traffic and now I'm just like, it doesn't matter. You just let it, you just, it doesn't matter. You don't care, you, you know? And that's kind of that you separate yourself from the situation. And now there's this space between you and the situation and you get to decide how you respond 
rather than being, you know, smacked together and your ego is inside the situation, you've separated yourself from it and you are making a decision based on what is like your true self and what is truly how you, you would want to be. Um, and that's one of the biggest, you know, after things that I have noticed is you're just so much more patient and you're, it's so easy to separate yourself from a stressful situation that you may not respond in the best way. Um, after the fact, you know, you just, you either don't even care because it doesn't matter or you respond in a, in a very appropriate way because you're not actually in it. You've, you know, been able to take your ego out of this, the equation and just, you know, handle it in a way that it actually didn't involve you in the first place, if that makes sense. Um, and it's, it is profound. Everything that you <laughs> go through during the experience is profound. Before, before you had this experience, if someone had asked you, hey, Evan, are you a very spiritual person? What would your response have been? I believe there is a God. I struggle with religion a lot, but I do believe there is a God. And so my experience, I was with God. I spoke to God. I, he told me things. He showed me things. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, that don't believe there's a God, it's just a being. It's an, it's a higher power of some sort that, you know, and they glean just as much impact as someone that's not spiritual at all. You know, there's not a prereq for being spiritual to one degree or another. Um, I guess, I guess that, you know, my question is really a little bit of whether you consider yourself on this side of this experience as a more spiritual person, if you would use that word more, more uh, likely now to describe your orientation to the world. Mm, maybe, I don't know. I'm, not really, not necessarily spiritual. I wouldn't say. I think within it, you you experience things that prior to the experience, you if someone told you, you would say like, "Oh yeah, you know, I know that. I know my daughter loves me. I know my wife loves me. I know they're important." You know, and then you go through the the experience, and you're like, "Wow, that's all that matters." They are like, "She loves me more than anything." Like that is like that is it. That is all that matters is like your, your family and the love you have for those that you care about in the world. And, you know, the, the love that you have for the world and like projecting that out is, you know, the most important thing. If I could go back uh, one second to the, that guardian review I read earlier. And uh, there's one line that I, that I bolded here in my writing. It says one of the book's important messages is that the therapeutic benefits of psychedelics can't be separated from the mystical experiences to which they give rise. Um, I'm absolutely fascinated by that sentence. Yeah. Because my, my take on spirituality, I mean, I had very strong mystical experiences and spiritual experiences from very early on in my life. I remember being like a six, seven year old kid. And I remember going out in our backyard and it was summer and the leaves were shaking and the light was bright and I, and the sun was all on me. And I felt like I completely dissolved into the woods and I was like the happiest kid. I was just standing there. I felt really just completely as part of this living, breathing 
uh, earth of ours. And that, that is like, if I say your top five moments, that's when I was seven, I was, I still remain six or seven. That remains one of my most powerful memories. And then I think as I went through my life, what are some of my other most powerful memories? And they're usually tied to nature, music, and art. Those are the moments where I am able to abandon my own, my own ego. You talked about the death experience. Uh, another way to look at that, and I you know, mentioned in the book, is it talks about the dissolving of the ego. That thing that we put up, that wall we put up that separates us from each other, from the world around us, from the cosmos beyond us. And when those, mo those moments of that dissolve are, for me, those transcendent moments, you know, whether it's reading Walt Whitman's, who was very much his poetry is all about transcendent mystical experience. You, you, I don't know if, if uh, Whitman did drugs. I don't think he needed to uh, or did them. I really don't know. But uh, or listening to Mahler. I listen to Mahler's Third Symphony, which is all about nature. And I have a similarly out of, like an out of body experience. I can't explain it. It's like something's talking to me and it's beyond me, but I feel part of it and I feel totally comforted, good, bad, and indifferent. I feel like the whole world and I'm part of this whole world and nothing could really ever separate that. The separation is illusory and in the moment. So I, I want to go back and just ask you, what was there a moment when this was in the middle of the experience where you looked at yourself and saw something in yourself that you kind of wanted to leave behind in a way sort of like oh that i see that part of me and you know what i can leave that behind me did you actually have that kind of clear sort of moment yes <laughs> um it wasn't like one part of me it was you know i think a lot of my experience was i would suppress emotion and suppress feeling prior to to um the experience and i i wouldn't really share how I felt a lot, you know, whether it was frustration or, you know, happiness or anything. I, I'm usually, I'm a, I tend to be even keeled anyways, but then I also just don't share when I'm feeling something. And I had this experience and just to try to describe it, you're not seeing color with the eye shades on. You don't really, for me, at least I didn't see a lot of like vivid color. It was really black and white. Um, and there was a moment when it was like a, a a volcano of ash and it was shedding off of me and I'm this, this blackness in the middle, you know, and it's all just sliding off of me in every direction. And to me, that was like this feeling of, of shedding all of this anxiety and um, stress and, and, you know, just parts of my being that I didn't need anymore. You know, it was like a snake getting a new skin and you're just like, all of this is going away. And then I'm like, this black plume is shooting out of this um, effectively ashy volcano of snakeskin. And um, after thinking about it a lot, you know, and you, you, it's really important to reflect on, you know, some of the things that you see and what they mean. Um, I think that's, that's what it was. I, and my wife has noticed it. I, the other day, like, I was like, you know, I'm kind of feeling frustrated about this. And that just like knocked her back in her tracks. Cause I never would say that. I don't think I've ever said that to her in the 10 years or 11 years that we've known each other now. And now I just express how I'm feeling when I'm feeling it. 
So it's definitely, there's this shift that's happened um, <laughs> there. And that wasn't something that I, you know, came into it wanting to work on. But again, that was, like I said, the, the, the plant's going to, to give you what you need. And that clearly was something that I needed. Um, and it's great. It's, it's phenomenal. It's been beneficial for our marriage in the few weeks since I've, you know, experienced it. Um, but yeah, it definitely. And, definitely and Evan, you never had any experience with, with uh, mushrooms before. I have never taken any psychedelic. Actually, I take that back. I've taken mescaline one time, which was just a great visual experience. But other than that, no drugs. I've never smoked anything and never taken mushrooms prior to three weeks ago. Not a microdose, nothing. And do you anticipate wanting to repeat this experience? Is it even necessary to think that way? Is is, is Do you need a booster, you think, in the future? <laughs> right after you do it, it's it's one of those things you're like, wow, I that was incredible. And I don't ever want to do that again. Like it was so intense and so much work and so scary and, you know, all of that. And so you're like, that was incredible. And I never am going to do it again, but I could see myself doing it again now, three weeks later, like, you know, every six months or uh, once a year or something like that, maybe. Um, Cause it's not addictive. You know, I don't have a craving to do it again. It's <laughs> well, the, the danger, I feel like we should, we should just mention what the danger is, is that in an uncontrolled environment, I mean, I could have just like run across a road at Stanford back in that day and got hit by a car. I mean, that's the real danger is that you do something that you're not physically not aware of. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, I'm not an expert on this. Like I said, I've only done it one time. I can probably pretty confidently say if you take as much as I did, you're not going to be running anywhere. Um, you can barely get up to go to the bathroom when you do get up. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, just like any mind altering substance, absolutely. It is important to be very smart about where you are doing it and who are you are doing it with. Yeah. I mean, it's really that early period where it hasn't fully impacted you yet. Sure. Because once it really hit me, I, I think I did just stay put. I was somewhere else. I wasn't in my house and nobody was watching me. And I did, you know, I did not know what was happening. I had zero expectation of what would, would happen, but it's, it's that lead up point. Certain setting is, is incredibly important and can seriously impact the experience. Adam. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of this, um, you know, I, I think one word that, that sums up a lot of our collective experiences uh, would be unity. I think we all kind of felt this unity with, with nature, with kind of like society and how the world works and with whatever is going on around us, but also a little bit of like losing our ego or, you know, kind of having this no self um, aspect, aspect of life. And I think it's, uh, you know, a healthy combination of, you know, feeling unity with everything around us along with that egolessness and like, you know, no true self, those kind of like two halves, um, combined make for a, a really cool experience. And some of the, the other ways that the author, um, you know, kind of spoke about using this was, uh, to like, you know, kind of unpattern yourself and kind of get, get out of some habits. Um, there's so much good work on habits and, you know, no lie. Like if I see like a really good article about like, you know, a really great way to, to build a habit or, you know, something like that, I'm just like, okay, well that's, that's something I'm interested in because 
we rely on habits so much um, to do so much for us. But once we become so habitual, uh, it can start, you know, kind of, what, what's that word? Diminishing returns after a while. Now, if you remember that, um, you know, when we had Judd Brewer on also just reminding us that habits are new, they are good and bad habits. We build, you know, he, he, his whole study really is all about how anxiety is a habit, but I kind of agree. I think the, the same thing. Happiness is a habit. Love is a habit. Habits are the things that we do repeatedly. And if we do the good stuff, they're good habits. And if we do stuff that in, detracts from our happiness or lessens our health or increases our hostility to other people, then they're bad habits. So I, I think, I think what the, what the, what the mushrooms probably do is just allow our brains to slide out of this rigid place they're in. And in, in essence, I mean, this is the whole fun of talking about drug experiences is just avoiding the value judgment, just realizing, you know, we, we, why do we prioritize and value conscious uh experience in any one way like like the 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 we think you know oh that's a that's induced by a drug well if if what we're learning is useful to us why is that any less valuable than any other experience we have that's what that's what i found really fun in the book uh reading the book and and thinking about uh talking to evan about this was just realizing how there's no one answer in any of this you know all the, the, the roads continually, you know, just when we think we're reaching that, that place to understand it all, we realize that we're, and, and we're, we, we really don't know very much about ourselves. The more we learn, the more we know is in a sense, it just opens up more doors for us to ask, uh, uh, ask these questions. I will say just Evan, I got to say that morning getting that text from you was powerful for me because, you know, you and I have a fun funny banter back and forth because we are so different. I'm like the ultimate chatty in your face. I want to know how you feel. Uh, uh, Loudmouth New Yorker prying, constantly poking you. I mean, I don't know how the hell you deal with me poking you all the time to try to get a response from you about various things. So that morning I was like, this is so cool. Not only did he write to me about it, but he actually wants to come and talk to us about it on the podcast. So I, to me, that was an, an expression of you showing your um your vulnerable vulnerability and i just appreciated the the generosity of your spirit in wanting to share that with with people so um i, I don't know is there anything else evan you that you want to say i mean that you we've this is your moment in a way to sort of talk to people further like so just to get back to what you guys just talked about there's two really good analogies in the book that are some of the best ways i think to describe the experience and it goes along with what Adam talked about with habits, you know, and everyone gets in kind of these loops that we're used to and it's daily life. And really what, what psilocybin does and experience like this does is one of the analogies is, you know, if your life's a snow globe, all the little snowflakes are settled, right? It's just been sitting on the shelf. Nothing's happened. And psilocybin shakes up the snow globe. Like, intensely shakes up the snow globe and everything settles in a different way than, than it was sitting prior to the experience. And so that's kind of what happened is my snow globe got shooken up a lot. Um, and another one is if you picture your brain as in these habits and loops that we're in as a, you know, a mountain with a bunch of ski runs on it, 
over time you've you've skied down and you've created these paths that are in really ingrained in the mountain and you take the same paths down because those are you know that's the fastest way down the mountain um basically what psilocybin is is like a fresh thick coat of powder on the mountain so you have a way to create totally new trails um and and passages like in your mind uh and so that's that's kind of the two best <laughs> analogies that i've read uh and they're definitely accurate um and honestly you know i don't i want to be careful about like proselytizing this because it's everyone's experience with it is different and everyone needs to come to making a decision to to do something like this at, at their own pace um but after having done it, it's it's one of those things where you're just like, man, the world would just be a better place if everyone just did it one time. <laughs> like in, in you mean one time versus doing it at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> in a very controlled setting, Actually, the um, whole world with a, very, with a very sober guide that's there to walk them through it if they need that, um, and all that good stuff. But yeah, I mean, it is just it, one of the most profound experiences that I've ever had. Um, and I will definitely never forget it. It's changed me, um, and how I think about things and how I re react and respond and go about daily life. Um, and it's just, a, it's a really cool time to be alive because a lot of these things are kind of becoming more accepted. A lot of it's, you know, Johns Hopkins is doing a lot of research right now. And, you know, I, I'm really hopeful that it continues to gain the traction that it has because especially with mental health in our world right now, um, there are millions of people that would be greatly, greatly impacted in a positive way by having access to, to this, this plant, which is medicine. You know, it's, it's better than any antidepressant or any of that other shit out there. Um, it's there's just no money in it because you don't have to do it every single day or a couple times a day in order to to have it work. Um, but I would encourage anyone that's curious to read that book uh, or you know do their other do some other research as well. Um, but it is a very impactful thing, um, which you can get from other other processes, whether it's therapy or meditation or anything. But it is like I said a if you're looking for something a little quicker and you're willing to do that work and prep, there's, there's nothing like it. Well, I have to say and remind people that let's face it. This is, these are, uh, uh, mushrooms have been used by cult, different cultures back to antiquity. You know, I was uh, talking to Brian about that this morning. He mentioned, well, you know, when you were in pain back in, you know, ancient Greece and you were in, in incredible pain and couldn't take a dose of painkillers, you know, drugs, uh, you know, eating that mushroom that might alleviate that pain, it was, was rather practically important way to help yourself. I mean, this was, this grew out of real necessity in certain cultures. Uh, the drugs retain a, a spiritual ritualistic aspect of, of uh, community of, of, you know, rituals. Um, so this is not something new. Um, you know, one, one thing the book reminds us over and over again is that our attitudes about these, about important topics um change and our orientation of them change and now the pendulum i mean think about it when we started um you know 
when I was in college, I never thought we'd have a, uh, any state in, in America that had legal marijuana. It seemed unthinkable. And yet, our, you know, our attitude changes, frankly, as our level of fear is reduced. I mean, we are too often reacting against irrational fear um, and, and making decisions based on irrational fear and not about and not through rational thought. Um, I just want to mention, because we've mentioned the book over and over again, we did invite the author, Michael Pollan, to come, and we did hear back from his publisher saying he's out promoting a new book, that uh, that was the reason why he couldn't accept our invitation. If he ever comes on our show, Evan, you will be invited to come and ask him questions yourself. Um, the book is How to Change Your Mind, is the shortcut title by Michael Pollan. Uh, Evan's uh, Instagram handle is Shades of Indigo. I'm sure if you DM him, he will tell you more. Uh, we do want to say once again to be really, really careful. Nobody, including Evan, really uh, is endorsing. Uh, go out and do mushrooms today. That's not what we're saying whatsoever. Uh, that's the, the key reminder is that, um, like in anything in life, you're you have to do your homework, do your research, and know exactly what you're doing, and uh, not pretend to be an expert in things that you're not. But we're really grateful for this time with you, Evan. It's been really fun and exciting. It's certainly planted some seeds in, of, uh, in, in me and some uh, for, for thought. Uh, Adam, do you want to, uh, do you want to do any, any summing up words? Yeah, no, um, I think you, you said it really well. Um, again, you know, this is kind of a, a do it, do it yourself and, and make that decision um, on your own um, because it, it is a, a very intense experience um, for both you and, and, you know, your surroundings. So do your research, be smart about it. Um, and you know, if you are looking to, to change your mind, um, you know, be open to it. And I think that's a, a big part of, of our show is, you know, uh, vulnerability is, you know, linked hand in hand with, with being open and being able to experience whatever, whatever happens and, you know, greeting that with a little bit of equanimity too. So, um, be open, be understanding and, uh, be willing to have your, your mind changed. This has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Evan Blanchin. Thanks for listening.